Hello, this is Simeon Weinrob, and this is the audio version of The Bite for December 2017 and January 2018. This is The Bite, a burst of inspiration for teachers and educators, brought to you by the Five Keys Academic Committee. For more information about this publication, please visit our website, www.thefivekeysbite.org. This publication is comprised of seven columns updated monthly. One, from the inside scoop, seven things principals want to see in your classrooms. Two, from SLO of the month, how to help students keep jobs, maintain healthy relationships, and stay out of jail. Three, from curriculum developments, November updates, plus the first monthly installment of Off the Page, a look at outstanding ESL. Four, from feature teachers, Haiti Barola from San Bernardino Probation DRC, Ali De Natal from Pueblo del Sol, the five key staff at ACSO, and the Career Path Academic Staff. Five, from Academic Assessment and Technology Updates, 10 Things to Know About the New State Academic Test. Six, from Professional Development Opportunities November-December Updates. Seven, from Quick Bite of the Month, Turn Your Inbox into a Powerful To-Do List. Article number one, from the Inside Scoop, here's Kristen Saito with Eight Things Principals Want to See in Your Classroom. This month's Inside Scoop article is about eight things principals want to see in your classrooms. What does good teaching look like at Five Keys? This is a tough question to answer. We teach in so many different types of settings here. So before you read on, I want to offer a few disclaimers. One, this is not meant to make teachers feel like they have to put on a dog and pony show for classroom visitations. Two, this is not a list of mandates from principals. I went to them and solicited their off the top of your head input. Their only prompt being to tell me the top two things you want to see when you walk into a teacher's classroom with a focus on things that are observable and objective. Three, this is not an all-inclusive, unbudging, immaculately presented list where everything applies to everyone as written for all time. It's a work in progress, and you may need to do a fair amount of exploring how specific expectations would translate into your classroom environment. Which brings us to the last point. This is meant to be the start of a straightforward conversation that will calibrate what's expected of teachers to get everyone, principals and teachers alike, on the same page. So when phrases like increase engagement, more rigor, more Sadai strategies, more differentiated, common core aligned, data-driven instruction get thrown around, we all have roughly the same picture in our minds. P.S. This is also meant to be a cheat sheet for teachers if you have any visitors coming around soon. If they're rounding the corner now, skip ahead to things they don't want to see. The first thing principals want to see when they walk into a teacher's class is a posted objective. Now, I'm aware that this may fall under some teacher's dog and pony show list, but for those who continue to do this when no one is looking, they'd agree that it not only helps keep lessons focused and purposeful, but more importantly, helps motivate adult students who need to know why they are learning something and what they will get out of it. With that said, here are three things an objective should be. They should be in student-friendly language, start with a verb that defines what students will be able to do by the end of the lesson, and include a measurable outcome. Here's a non-example. Students will understand how to use trigonometric ratios. 
How will you know they have understood this? A better objective would be students will be able to use trigonometric ratios to find angle measures in right triangles. Here is another non-example. Students will learn about how RJ is used in four different cultures. What should they be able to do with this learning? A better objective would be students will be able to summarize how RJ is used in four different cultures and create a how-to plan for repairing harm or relationships using at least two RJ principles. A second thing that principals want to see is an agenda posted. Ideally, this would follow the standard instructional delivery model, which includes a do now, an I do, a we do, a you do, and an exit ticket. In short, the do now is a warm-up assignment, a short and simple pre-assessment, preview, or review assignment that students can complete with little to no instruction. The I do part of the lesson is the skill or concept that the teacher will teach. We do is a guided practice activity where the students will apply the new things they've learned. The you do is an independent activity where they'll apply what they've learned. And an exit ticket is a short and simple post-assessment that lets the teacher know whether the objective was met or not. A third thing that principals want to see is student-to-student -student interaction. Basically, this is discussion driven by students. Sometimes after a classroom visit, teachers get feedback like, try to incorporate more time for discussion. And the teacher will feel like, what are they talking about? The whole class was a discussion. What your observer probably meant was less discussion led by the teacher, more discussion led by the students. This can be done through pair shares, circle discussions, Socratic seminars, literature circles, reciprocal teaching, and other forms of cooperative learning, aka group work. A fourth thing is the principals want to see the teacher circulating around the room, checking in with every student and happy to be there. While you're teaching a lesson, speak from different points in the room as you move from one point to another, the side, the back, the other side, don't stay front and center. While students are working, walk around, provide on-the-spot feedback. Try to check in with every single student. Make them all feel seen. This will not only help with classroom management, but allows you to conduct an informal assessment. If you're noticing a pattern of mistakes from student to student, you can stop the class to teach a mini lesson that benefits all students. And you don't have to be fake or overly enthusiastic about it, but show that you enjoy being with them. Greet students as they arrive. Give lots of positive reinforcement. Your enthusiasm, or lack thereof, is evident and contagious. Speaking of a welcoming teacher, a fifth thing principals want to see is a welcoming structured environment. We know this is difficult for some. After all, we are a school that started in a jail. But if you can, principals want to see bulletin boards that display current student work and achievements, colorful print-rich walls with posters, quotes, and art, an organized classroom setup that is inviting, bright, and clean. And in all settings, principals want to see that rules and routines have been established. For example, entry and exit routines, a sign-in sheet, baskets or folders for turning in Form 1s, students turning down their ringers upon entering or stepping out to take a call, and systems in place so that students know their tape scores, deficient units, and where they are at based on their goals. A sixth thing principals want to see is multimodal instruction using multiple learning formats. Basically, present the information in more than one way and don't do the same thing the entire time. Part of this goes back to the instructional delivery model reviewed in item number two, agenda posted. After the do now activity, the lesson should be chunked into smaller pieces that include some direct instruction, some small group or partner work, and some independent work. Sometimes a concept can't be covered in neat little boxes like that, and that's okay. 
In those cases, a good rule of thumb is to change things up every 15 minutes with a pair share, a whip around, a quick write, or some other quick comprehension check where you're turning the floor over to the students and giving them a chance to digest what they're learning. The other part of this, which is about presenting the information in more than one way, refers to combining visual, auditory, and kinesthetic supports. If you're speaking, have a handout or PowerPoint. If they're listening or viewing something, accompany it with a worksheet to complete. If you're reading, provide them the text for them to annotate. And if you've given them written instructions, explain it verbally. A seventh thing principals want to see is that all students are included, encouraged to participate, and doing something at all times. This overlaps a bit with previous points, but basically lecture and large group discussions should be limited. A best practice is 80% student talk, 20% teacher talk. There should be something for students to do from the moment they enter your room to the moment they leave. This is where a do now activity and exit ticket come in handy. Another way to approach this is to offer multiple ways for students to participate, including differentiated assessments. Lesson plans and activities should consider that some students like to talk, some like to draw, some like to write, some like to live it out, and some don't like any of those things. So what options can you create for those students? How can you make them feel safe to talk, draw, write, or act if they're feeling insecure? The key is to make intentional efforts to pull those students in. Once they see that you're okay with them not participating, they'll begin to detach. We must make it clear that we fully expect everyone to participate in some way at all times, and that even if they're having trouble, we'll find a way to make it happen. Last, principals want to see teachers using restorative practices in classroom management. So what does this look like? Remember that your class is a community. When one person is hurt, whether by someone in the community or something going on within them or outside of class, it affects everyone. Here are a few ways this sense of community can be carried out with examples of what this might sound like. If a student is being disruptive or uncooperative, corrections should be as private as possible and should come from a place of wanting the student to be part of the community versus wanting to punish them for violating the norms of the community. For example, why don't you come join your group instead of working by yourself? Another thing is to remember that misbehavior is most likely a symptom of a larger issue the student is dealing with. Ask questions and use caring statements that demonstrate empathy and get to the root of the issue. How's your day going? What's going on? Is everything okay? Affirm their importance to the community and their identity as a positive contributor to the community. I know you have some valuable input you could offer to your group and that this isn't how you normally react. Allow students to save face. Give the student a way out through choices and processing time. If you don't want to work with your group, I can create a writing assignment for you to complete on your own. I'll give you a few minutes to think about it and you can let me know what you decide. Invite them to think about how their actions may have affected their community and how they can correct any harm done. How do you think the class was affected when this happened? How do you think your group might have felt? Be willing to own up to any harm you may have caused. I'm sorry that my tone seemed harsh. I didn't mean to make you feel like I was judging you. And last, invite them back into the community and allow them to correct any harm that may have been caused. Hey guys, John has decided that he wants to work with the group. Can someone explain what you've been working on and let him know what he can contribute? This may also include initiating a private conversation between two students who have had a disagreement. For more guidance through this discussion, or for students who prefer to process through writing rather than talking, please visit the Byte to download the thinking report included under resources in this post. Principals were also given the option of providing things they don't want to see in teachers' classrooms. They are the teacher sitting at their desk, 
Films shown without an assignment or without pausing to explain or have a discussion. The teacher doing more work than the students. For example, talking for longer than 15 minutes at a time without student-to-student -student interaction, a comprehension check, or activity. Using the same format the whole time. For example, teacher-directed discussion. And any behavior that intimidates, shames, ridicules, or embarrasses the student. There are a number of principal resources available on the Byte to provide additional support and direction in the areas mentioned above, including a lesson planning template with a sample lesson plan, the big list of classroom discussion strategies to get students interacting, little ways to encourage participation from all students, de-escalation strategies, a thinking report, ELL and SADAI strategies from Sweetwater schools, do now worksheets such as a KWL template and free response template, and some exit ticket worksheets such as 321, Hey Letter, Give One, Get One, and Storyboard. We hope you will visit our post on the bite. Article number two from the slow of the month. Kristen Saito spoke with Veronica Rodriguez. Here's Kristen to tell you more. How to help students keep jobs, have healthy relationships, and stay out of jail. Whether in the community or in custody, our students have enrolled with five keys to turn their lives around. This article offers three things you can do to help students maintain healthy lifestyles and support them on their journey to recovery. One, incorporate opportunities for social-emotional learning. Two, teach core employability skills. And three, connect students to their next destination. Here with me, I have Veronica Rodriguez, Assistant Principal at Boyle Heights Technology Youth Source Center and Professor of Education at Cal State Los Angeles to talk a little bit about what social-emotional learning is, how to incorporate it into instruction, and some ways it can benefit our students. Social-emotional learning, or SEL, is an approach to learning that focuses on helping students develop the skills needed in order to manage their emotions, develop empathy, set and achieve goals, and maintain healthy relationships. SEL actually focuses on developing five core competencies in self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. Sometimes these are referred to as soft skills, but more than that, they are essential attitudes and skill sets needed in order for students to be successful in school and beyond. So if you look at the research, there are several studies that show gains in academic achievement, improved classroom behavior, an increase in self-esteem, and ability to manage stress effectively. However, I believe that one of the most beneficial outcomes of SEL is the impact it has on a student's attitude towards learning. In essence, learning is a social and interactive process. By incorporating SEL techniques in the classroom, such as goal setting, relationship team building activities, and conflict resolution strategies, the teachers will be giving their students the tools necessary in order for them to have a positive learning experience. Thanks, Veronica, for the valuable information. On the website, we have included a chart that summarizes the five core competencies Veronica shared about, plus a PowerPoint with more details on the information she shared. We also have a list of ready-to-use activities for each of the five competencies, including videos and principal worksheets and lesson plans. The second strategy the article covers is to teach core employability skills, for which we've also included principal lesson plans and worksheets. Topics include how to conduct a job search, fill out an application, write a resume and cover letter, interview successfully, disclose your conviction record, keep a job, reduce stress, and communicate effectively. 
The third strategy the article offers is to connect students to their next destination, which includes forms that have been created to connect students to community sites, community colleges, or career pathways upon release. Please visit the Byte to download these resources. Article number three, Curriculum Updates. Cara Valle has the first monthly installment of Off the Page, Standout ESL. But first, here are the current curriculum updates. Major revisions to math for work units two to six, algebra units one to three, geometry on-ramp, and units two to four. SAMHSA Anger Management course is now available on the intranet. New college and career readiness course is now available on the intranet. High set interactive practice tests and test prep are accessible through the intranet. See the high set info page. The DMV passing the driver's test course has been completely updated. The 2017 driver's handbook has replaced the 2014 one and new points have been assigned to all packets. Answer key for Something Noble has been completed and posted to the intranet. New curriculum order forms for CTE curriculum created. Readers for Health, American Literature, and U.S. History 1 and 2 have had page numbers added. This will make it easier for custody teachers to reuse the readers. Here's Kara with Off the Page. Hi everyone, this is Kara. Welcome to the first monthly installment of Off the Page, which is a curriculum series that I'm working on that really works for ways to take the packets and the worksheets that we give our students to take them off the page to get students talking and speaking and listening and actively participating. For this first month, I did the standout curriculum, the standout ESL curriculum, because I felt like we want our students to learn speaking and listening English, but what we give them is a lot of reading and writing. So I thought it would be a really great idea to work on some of these ways to use this reading and writing curriculum as a tool to teach students speaking and listening as well. If you look on the curriculum page, the first thing I have is just a material checklist. Uh, everybody's got a bunch of different standout materials, and it's hard to know exactly if you have the whole set. So there's a handy checklist if you ever want to look there and make sure you have everything. And then I go into seven just super quick, no prep strategies. So the first one is a quick vocabulary brainstorm. If you look on the side, there's a picture it just says warm up. And in my very messy handwriting, it says write 10 things you are going to do in in the future, write 10 foods. Uh, there's another one. I've used this with all types of things. Write 10 jobs, write 15 body parts, says one. So I'm using it for tons of different levels and just as a warm up to get students moving. Afterwards, if you want to extend it, you can do a brainstorm activity on the board with it. You can have them share with a partner. You can have them present to the group, whatever you want. Sky's the limit. I also try to pick something that has to do with a lesson that I'm going to do for the day. For example, one of the warm ups I show pictured says write 15 body parts and that day I'm going to do a lesson about talking to the doctor. The second strategy I have is for preloading the important vocabulary. So if you see there there's just a video where I've gone into the lesson that I'm doing with this gentleman and I've highlighted some of the vocabulary, some of the words that I think he might not know. And we're just going over exactly how to say those words and then exactly what they mean. The third strategy I'm doing something about distinguishing sounds and I'm using lots of gestures. So there's a video and I'm teaching a young woman how to distinguish between sh, sh, and th. And I'm showing her lots of visuals with my tongue. When I do the ch, I'm making a big noise like a ch. Well, when I'm showing her the sh, I'm putting my finger to my lips and saying, like you silence your little brother, right? Sh, sh, sh. 
And then I'm just saying a bunch of words and she's pointing to the card that corresponds with that. If you notice the cards are in different colors, I'm making her finger physically move. So I'm trying to get some of that kinesthetic learning going on. Number four, I do another thing with colors. And if you could go to the blog post, there's an article about how colors help our memory and brain function. So I love using colors whenever I can. Here I'm having a student use two different colors of highlighters. She's highlighting blue and yellow and she's highlighting one for all the past tense verbs that are regular and the other for all the past tense verbs that are irregular. So on one level, she has to figure out what's a past tense verb. And then on the other level, she has to classify it. So you can see a video of that there. Number five, I'm taking one of the many checklists that are in a standout. If you're familiar for with standout level one, packet one, it has a chart pretty much right at the beginning about likes and dislikes. So number five, in this one, I'm just taking one of the many charts that are in standout and I'm making a really simple call and response activity. I'm making it into sort of a mini dialogue. See here in the video, there's three present tense verbs, it's a little chart, and then there's one for he and one for she. And I'm just asking back and forth questions with the girl based on a simple dialogue about this chart. So I write the question down so she can both read it and listen to it and then also talk and respond to it. I also make sure that at the end or in the second half, she's asking me the questions too, right? Because talking to someone isn't just about answering them, but it's also about asking them questions back. If you'll see here in parentheses, there's also a little bonus. When the book teaches like a champion, one of his 49 techniques that puts students on the path to college is call and response. The link here, some more information about that chapter. Number six is I'm using one of the many charts that are in standout, sort of like the last chart, and I'm using them to make simple sentences. In this case, I'm using a grammar chart instead of an information chart. But here we're just taking each of the pronouns that's highlighted in that grammar chart, and we're using it to make simple sentences. Number seven is to just do a mini project by having students make a T-chart. You can use this to review grammar. You can use it to review vocabulary. You can do it in individuals or as pairs. Really anything you want. I have some examples here where a student is sorting things into actions into things you should and shouldn't do if you have a cold. Another one where they're going to sort foods into healthy and unhealthy. And then another one where they're going to sort, ver sort verbs into present or past. So really, you can do anything with this. It's just a fun way to get them doing a project. There you have my seven really easy, almost no prep ways to use the standout curriculum and get students listening and talking and hopefully working with each other too. I hope you enjoyed this, please, if you have any other ideas, feel free to leave a comment in the post or send me an email at v at fivekeyscharter.org. And be ready for next month's installment where Matt Milton will be talking about the health science curriculum. Thanks, everyone. Article number four from Featured Teachers, I.D. Barola, bringing art to the students at San Bernardino Probation Center. At the San Bernardino Day Reporting Center, DRC, a probation officer led five key students in an oil painting activity and provided all the supplies. Students will earn visual art credits for creating their own art pieces and writing a reflection. A big thank you to our teacher, I.D. Barola, for organizing this activity and preparing the lesson. If you want to try this in your own classroom, you can download the Form 1 and Reflection Assignment 
assignment from the Feature Teacher section of the Byte website. The art students completed the first packet of visual arts. All the participants learned basic blending techniques and brush strokes from the instructor that day and had no prior preparation. The class was led by a probation officer who is an avid painter, P.O. Shea Craddock. Each student was provided an easel, a canvas, three different size paint brushes, and four colors to work with. Officer Shea and Haiti explained the steps and procedures for the activity to the students. She talked to them about the correct ways to hold the paintbrush, and she demonstrated stroke styles and blending techniques. They enjoyed cookies, coffee, and tea while painting for our version of Paint and Sip. The following week after the activity, students made a thank you card for Officer Shea and presented it to her. Ali Di Natal, ESL Class Community Planter Project. This project was a hands-on way of learning vocabulary for fruits, vegetables, and how plants grow for the ESL class, and introduced ideas of sustainability and community. Students were responsible for maintaining this garden and working together to keep it alive. This project was started in the summer during the break. Students signed up to water the plants and to chart the progress of their growth. They also planted their own seeds that they were able to take home to show how easy it is to grow their own vegetables and herbs. Please go to the Feature Teacher section of the Byte website to look at a video that I made with the help of Capri Marguerite for this project. It's pretty good. Ashlyn Fierros, Implementing Calm Classroom in an ISP Setting Ashlyn Fierros shares how she integrated Calm Classroom at the Para Los Niños site. Despite the inconsistencies and challenges of an ISP class at a youth site, with limited time and varying levels of student attendance, she incorporates mindfulness exercises whenever she can and with whoever is there, typically after lunch or when she senses students need a break, sometimes with as few as two students, and they seem to enjoy it. Go to the Feature Teacher section of the Byte website to see her in action and hear some of her tips and tricks and learn about the benefits she and her students have experienced. Calm Classroom Update, a life skills packet has been posted on the internet for students to earn 0.25 elective credits for Calm Classroom. The resources are posted on the website. ACSO staff, creating a response to intervention team. Five Keys, Alameda County Sheriff's Office, ACSO, staff participated in a professional development day focused on classroom management, sustainability, and team building. During the morning, staff worked on identifying student behaviors, root causes, and how to meet students' needs. This process served as the start of a response to intervention team focused on student behavior and attendance. This promises to yield much more positive changes in the next few months. The day was capped off with some friendly competition at the bowling alley. Congratulations to top bowler Lillian Santos-Stables and to the winning team of Larry Burdick, Denise Copeland, and Tyler Small. Article number five from Assessment and Technology Updates. Here's Helena Lee with 10 things you need to know about the new state academic testing and updates to OASIS. 10 things to know about the new state academic test. And yes, it applies to us. Number one. What is this new test? The current state academic test is called CASP, stands for California's Assessment of Student Performance and Progress, which came into effect January 1st, 2014 and replaced its predecessor, the STAR program. Technically, it's not brand new, but due to our position as an alternative school that serves highly transitory and unique populations of students, we were exempt, but now have been mandated to administer this test to our students. The good news is that it does not apply to most of our students. We'll talk about details later. The test is computer-based and encompasses assessments in multiple content areas with its results meant to help us monitor student learning and prepare students for college and career. 
CASP is a part of a larger educational program called the Smarter Balanced Assessments System, which includes interim assessments, Smarter Balanced Digital Library, and Summative Assessments, which is the CASP. Number two, what content areas are covered? The CASP will cover English language arts, mathematics, and science. Number three, when will these assessments happen and who is required to test? The testing window will occur from April 2nd to May 31st, and during this time, an email will go out with the list of students required to be tested. Only students aged 16 to 19 and enrolled with us 60 days or more are required to test. Number four, what does the test consist of? The test is computer adaptive, which means that adjusts the difficulty of the questions based on student responses. The test also includes a range of test questions well beyond the traditional multiple choice questions, such as write short responses, complete a data table, draw a graph, and more extensive multiple part questions called performance tasks. If you want to see some sample questions, you can click into the PDF on this article. Number five, what are performance tasks? A performance task consists of extended activities that measure a student's ability to integrate knowledge and skills across multiple standards, a key component of college and career readiness. Another way to think about a performance task is to think of it as a multi-step problem. Number six, where can I find teacher resources for CASP? The Smarter Balanced Digital Library is a free online repository of resources designed to help and support educators in formative assessment practices. All California educators can self-register for access to the digital library, and you can register through the link on this article. Number seven, can I try out the formative assessments with my students now? So if you would like to volunteer to pilot interim assessments, please contact your principal. The interim assessments are optional tests that measure what students know and can do using the Common Core State Standards for English Language Arts and Literacy and Mathematics. Number eight, will there be accommodations or modifications for my students with IEPs? Students with disabilities will be given access to their accommodations or modifications once they begin testing. Number nine, when will results arrive for my students? Results will come in June or July 2018. Number 10, what trainings will teachers receive on the CASP system? In the next several months, there will be a series of workshops for teachers about the CASP system. The future professional developments will also include workshops on how to cover content for the CASP. If you'd like to begin familiarizing yourself about CASP, you can visit their website, www.caaspp.org. The article on state testing was written by Gabriela Farias. Oasis Teacher Updates for November 2017. I'll be sharing with you some of the major updates to Oasis that would be helpful for teachers. If you want to see what it looks like, you can click into the article and there will be screenshots. Update number one. For ISP, small group instruction courses now automatically import into WPRs. Okay, so what is this? Now, when ISP teachers hold small group classes, principals will be able to create an actual course for it so that you can enter attendance and grades just like a site-based class, and those grades import into WPRs. Why this matters? Previously, any small group instruction, grades and attendance would have to be entered separately into WPRs, which took much longer than if you could just import them all at once. So now you're free to hold small group instruction classes with minimal paperwork. Number two, 
Deficient grades total now shows on the transcript. What is this? So on the required units table on the transcript, that's the one at the very bottom of the transcript, the total number of deficient credits now shows on the bottom right column. So though the total will be correct 99% of the time, please pay attention to how the restorative justice credits are fulfilled. Most students fulfill it with advanced English, but a few students do come to us with advanced English done, in which case they may need additional restorative justice credits that the total doesn't account for. Restorative justice credits can also be fulfilled through five keys electives, vocational electives, or general English. The general English one is the restorative justice on-ramp packet. So depending on how you have the student fulfill the restorative justice requirement, you may need to add additional units to that total number that shows. Why this matters. Previously, teachers had to manually add up the deficient credits from the different areas to get the total credits needed. Since this is such an often used number, it saves a lot of time for teachers and students to just see the total at the end, and then you only need to double check the restorative justice part to make sure you're advising the student correctly. Number three, transcript tables are now labeled with the year or type. What is this? On the required units table, again, the same table that we were talking about in the previous update. The top of that table will say the name of the transcript table, such as 2016 or 2012 or AGR. Why this matters? The label will quickly tell us if the transcript table needs to be updated to the current 2016 graduation table that all students should be on. The only exceptions are students with reduced credits or students who had been previously and continuously enrolled since a previous graduation table and are therefore grandfathered into that previous graduation table. Any new or returning students should be on the 2016 table or else their graduation credits may not be accurate. So if you see a student that's returning who is not on the 2016 table, please email Ruby to get it updated. Her email is rubyg at fivekeyscharter.org. Article number six from Professional Development Opportunities. Here's Clarice Weinraub. This is Clarice Weinraub, and I have your updates for the professional development opportunities. Southern California has selected six new teacher coaches who have a wealth of experience with five keys, and they're eager to collaborate with their colleagues. If you're interested in being coached, please contact Caitlin Ferguson. Her email address is listed on the PD blog page. Facilitation skills workshops for both Northern California and Southern California have new dates. If you would like to be involved in the facilitation skills workshops or you want to participate in new hire training programs, then you should come to this workshop. Please check that out. Southern California's book club is reading When We Fight, We Win, a book about social justice movements throughout the world that have made change. Northern California will be starting their book club soon. If you would like to be involved in their book club, please get in touch with Kara. Northern California has upcoming PDs and ESL standout training, and they also have another PD for small group instruction training. Professional Development Days for Southern California is going to be January 5th, 2018. In Northern California, that Professional Development Day is January 12th, 2018. If you have any suggestions for the PD blog or you have feedback or some ideas, please visit our page and submit a Google form. If you would like to attend an external PD, please make sure that you are submitting an external PD request form. Article number seven from Quick Bite of the Month. Turn your inbox into a powerful to-do list. Here's Helena Lee. 
how to turn your inbox into a powerful to-do list. What is this that I'm talking about? So what I'm talking about is Google Inbox. It's a different interface for your email created by the Gmail team. It pretty much turns each email into a task to be checked off. And the rationale is that instead of keeping all of those hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of emails visible in your inbox and cluttering it, we can view each email as a task that can be checked off and disappears from view once we're done with it. So the goal is to complete all your tasks and zero out to your inbox. There are videos and pictures in this article, but I'm just going to go over quickly the five top things that you can do with Inbox. If you want all of the different details of included, please read the article itself. What are the top five features that teachers and managers and staff can benefit from using the Google Inbox interface? Number one is the to-do. This is my favorite feature. And I admit it's pretty addicting to check off all the emails and watch them go away. It's actually increased my enthusiasm for tackling my emails or tasks. So each email is essentially an open loop that we want to close. And a lot of them simply just take a glance to be marked done. Or you can just delete them if it's not important. It's really intuitive to use. Once you've read the email and completed any actions associated with it, you can mark it done by clicking the check mark button. And then it gets housed in the done section instead of your inbox section. It's really similar to Gmail's archive function, but whoever used archive? So now they've got the done section. Your inbox section is a prime real estate and should only be used for emails that require your action or for stuff that you haven't gotten to yet, emails that you have not opened yet. The main things to use the to-do list for is to mark done emails that you've completed and to keep any things that you wanna keep but are not pending any action. Otherwise, you can delete your other emails that you don't need. Number two, the snooze. What if the task isn't actually done, but it's waiting for action from someone else or is something you want to get to on a later date? You can snooze the email by clicking the clock button to set a timer for it to return at a date and time that you choose, and it'll just disappear from your inbox until then. You can even snooze an email to return that you send so that it'll reappear in your inbox if no one's replied to it by that date. It's similar to that boomerang feature in Gmail. So now you can follow up on every single email you sent. This is best used for tasks that are pending actions from others before you can mark it done, tasks with a later deadline, emails you wanna follow up on, including emails that you send out, or anything you just don't wanna see until a later date or time. Number three, the reminder. You know how you send yourself emails to remind yourself to do something or to remember a piece of information? Now there's a thing for that and it's called the reminder function found on the bottom right of the inbox interface. You can set a reminder to do something if it's something that your existing emails or open loops don't already prompt you to do. You can even set a recurring reminder that pops up every day or every week on a certain day if you want to. So you would use this for reoccurring tasks such as sending out hours for specific students or your daily ISP attendance, if you need reminders for that. Tasks outside of your email to-dos, reminders regarding various deadlines, reminders to check in with specific students or people. So they're just reminders for anything. Number four, the pin. 
The pin is similar to the star action in Gmail that's used for items that you constantly refer to or are priorities. You can pin any email by clicking the thumbtack button and there's even a toggle view in your inbox to see the pinned emails. So you would use this for marking priority emails so that you can see them in the toggle pin view. You can use it for instructions or a checklist that you'll repeatedly refer to. So for teachers, for example, you might pin the TABE email that tells you the instructions for the new TABE system. Number five, the template. These used to be the canned responses from the Gmail, the regular Gmail interface, which if you played around with the labs in Gmail, you could have activated this. But now it's a standard feature in Inbox and it's actually saved me so much time. You can create template emails for anything that you repeatedly send. I've done that for GED testing requests and my daily ISP attendance. Saves me a lot of time because I don't have to type it out each time or I don't have to go into another document to copy and paste it. You can create your templates for whatever it is that you need. And when you want to use them, you just simply create a new message by clicking the compose button, and then you can insert any templates that you've created from there. You would use this for repeated emails that you send and specific formats that you want to use. There are also some honorable mentions that I have not highlighted in these top five things, and you can see the article I wrote to see what those are. In conclusion, I just want to say that this interface has really, really helped increase my productivity, and I urge you to at least try it out if you haven't already and see if it helps you at all. You can always go back to the regular Gmail at any time if you're more comfortable with that. And email has not evolved like this in a really long time, which I think is unfortunate given how quickly technology is changing and it's our main tool of communication. So I think email should be improving too. The last time it made such a great leap was when Gmail started to thread emails together instead of each reply coming in as a separate email and you would have to go look through your inbox for the reply that is supposed to go with this other email. So I think that sooner or later, the traditional email interface will be replaced by something more user-friendly and intuitive, something like inbox. So you might as well be the early adopter instead of the bandwagoner. There are a ton of other things that Inbox can do and I'm sure that they're going to continuously add. So if you find really good tips, please share with them with me. Thank you for listening to the Byte Podcast for December 2017, January 2018. We'll be back in February and we should be moving to our monthly schedule. The Bite was produced by me, Simeon Weinrop, at Fat Chewini Studios in Pasadena, California. Additional recording was done at the Little Village Studio in Boyle Heights, California. Thanks to William Correa, Mr. Sag and his jeans of Hardened to Paint, and the Boyle Heights Technology Youth Source Center. Northern California Academic Committee members Helena Lee and Kara Valle recorded themselves, and the executive producer and Khaleesi of the Academic Committee, Kristen Saito, first of her name. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.